This week, our classic conversations continue. David Bowie is our featured artist. We took a second look at him back in June of uh, 2022. Hard to believe that we lost David you know, a little more than eight years ago already. What great music he had over his 50-year career or more. He's our featured artist this week as our classic conversations continue. Frankie, how are you? I'm great, and it's great to be here. We have David Bowie. Fresh look at uh, David Bowie today called David Bowie 2. And we'll begin with Today in Rock History, June 19th, 1971, Carol King's Tapestry. Stayed in bed all morning just to pass the time. There's something wrong here, there can be no denying. One of us is changing, or maybe we just stopped trying. that album have you (laughs) (laughs) it was like the whole 70s it was the number one selling album not just for female and it was on the charts forever yeah and it hit number one in the u.s album chart in this date uh 52 years ago would remain there for 15 weeks it's now certified 14 time platinum it won four grammys right including best album deservedly so and it kind of uh kind of was the first time we really heard a, a woman at the forefront of popular music mm-hmm. making that type of music now we knew she could write songs sure. with uh, herself and of course her uh ex-husband at the time jerry goffin but even she was a little trepidatious a little worried about how she would uh, do as a solo artist absolutely had some good people behind her including lou adler the famous producer doing that album and more 1973 you ever see the the film in the rocky horror picture show of course. It's one of my daughter's favorites. <laughs> bring, <laughs> bring your rice to the midnight showing. Uh, well, it began its run in London at the Royal Court Theater. This was the show. Two years later, it would start a brief Broadway run prior to being adapted into that feature film, which has become a cult classic. I never realized that there was a Broadway show before the actual movie. That's, yeah, let's do wow. the time warp together. I guess. 1980, disco queen Donna Summer became the first artist to sign with Geffen Records, and yeah. not the last, That's David right. Geffen. David Geffen, yeah. Many other top acts would follow suit, including Peter Gabriel, sure. Elton John, Nirvana, Mary J. Blige, John Lennon, Guns N' Roses, Enya, Aerosmith, and Kylie Minogue, just mm-hmm. to name a few. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, Aerosmith, of course, is coming to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse here in Cleveland September the 21st as part of their farewell tour, their peace out tour. Nice. You going to go? No. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll think talk. I'll sit that one out. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, 1988, over 3,000 East Germans gathered at the Berlin Wall to hear Michael Jackson. Mind you, the King of Pop was actually, was actually performing a show on the other side of the wall. Oh, okay. But it won't be long till the Berlin Wall would fall. That's right, yes. A year later, right? 2017, 50s country singer Slim Whitman. Remember the <laughs> 80s, the direct marketing <laughs> campaign he had? Absolutely. Well, Slim died at the age of 90. That was six years ago today. Oh. Birthdays, Mo Howard, my you, passed away in 1975, but he was born in 1897. Oh, good grief, yeah. Guy Lombardo, born in L- London, Ontario. What would New Year's Eve be without Guy Lombardo? Yes, uh, for you younger folks, you don't remember that uh, before there was Dick Clark, there was Guy Lombardo. Guy Lombardo's <laughs> not rocking New Year's Eve. No, it was definitely not rocking. <laughs> Lou Gehrig was born in this date in 1903. Lester Flat, Flat and Scruggs, you know, they sure. played the theme song to uh, Beverly Hillbillies, mm-hmm. 1914. Mr. Haney on Green Acres, Pat Buttram, <laughs> 1915. Uh, wow, Mr. Haney. Quick story about that when I did voiceovers uh, for a local advertising agency. They wanted somebody, not, not them, but the company wanted somebody to sound like Mr. Haney. Oh, geez. So my friend Stan, who was a broadcast producer, reached out to the real Pat Buttram and said, we'd love to have you in for this voiceover. It's going to be um, remotely so they won't see you in person. Sure. But we wanted, they wanted somebody who can sound like Mr. Haney. Oh. Would you like to do it? And he said, sure, I'd love to. <laughs> sure enough, the client in the other studio and somewhere else hated him. Didn't sound enough like Mr. Haney, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Tommy DeVito of the Four Seasons, uh, 1928. He died three years ago. Oh, boy. Salman Rushdie, the author, mm-hmm. 1947. Ann Wilson of Hearts, 73 years old today. Still wow. got that voice, though, doesn't she, Frankie? Incredible. Hart was, nom- was inducted into the Rock Hall in 2013. Actress Kathleen Turner, 69 years old. And Paula Abdul is 61. Can you believe that? Oh, we're all getting old. I tell you, everybody's in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> Soon to be hits, Frankie, 1978, on this date, Shadow Dancing was number one, the first of six-week run for them. Shadow so. Dancing, yeah, I remember that too. That was number one. Mm-hmm. Number 90, Just What I Needed, from the Cars. Nice.
27, but solidified them, didn't it? Yeah, it certainly got more airplay uh, than a number 27. <laughs> yeah. Now, people thought, like you said, that they were a new wave artist, exactly. but they really weren't. Straight ahead rock and roll. Good stuff coming mm-hmm. out of Boston. And number 87 was Shame by Evelyn Champagne King. <laughs> at the time she was my age, well, she still is, but at the time she was 18 years old, it was her first single and really her only one. It went to number nine in the country. Remember yes, I- and she couldn't even drink champagne. No, I know. <laughs> I don't know where she came up with the name, but it's a cool sounding name. <laughs> Andrew Gold, remember him? Absolutely. We did a, a little feature on yeah. him in one of our seasons. Yes, absolutely. S- sang back up with uh, Linda Ronstadt right. before venturing out on his own with a big hit, Lonely Boy. A year later, he had Never Let Her Slip Away, which is a nice little bouncy number. Sure. It uh, was started out at 86. It only went to number 67. That would be the last time he would hit the top 100. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, of course, we found out that... Uh, through his song, uh, another kind of minor hit at the time, uh, the Golden Girls theme, mm-hmm. uh, he became very well off and never had to worry about recording again and uh, did exactly what he wanted to do in his later years. Thank you for being a friend. Exactly. Tom Petty, I Need to Know, 1978, started out at 85. Mm. Would uh, peak just out of the top 40 at number 41. So we didn't hear him featured with Casey Kasem's top no, 40 just no. yet. Commodores, number one for a couple of weeks later on in the late summer, early fall. That started out at number 73, but the highest charting song making its debut on the Hot 100 was Barbara Streisand's Songbird. Yeah. And that made it all the way up to 25. Okay. The next one of hers and Neil Diamond's was uh, the big hit, You Don't Bring Me Flowers. Oh, yeah, that was huge. Guilty Pleasures, Frankie. Mm, Guilty mm. Pleasures. Mine is Spanky and our gang. Remember Spanky McFarland, the lead singer? I absolutely do. And, you know, like everybody else, I get them confused with the mamas and the papas. I know, me too. <laughs> you know, Spanky's 80 years old now. 
I did not know. I bet you she did not know. I bet you she still sounds good. Sunday will never be the same. They had a whole bunch of hits. That's a really good one. Lazy yes. Day and Like to Get to Know You. Mm-hmm. This one, Sunday sure. will never be the same. I remember sitting in my sister Mickey's room listening to tunes like that. Sometime I'd grab the single and bring it on down to my room and put it on my little white record. Oh, player. there you go. Remember that? With the red <laughs> turntable, which only played singles. It wasn't big enough, I guess, to hold a whole album. Not that I had any. Not that you had any. Yeah, exactly. It was like <laughs> me too. I was just thinking about this. My sister would bring home the monkeys. And then later, Bobby Sherman, your sister would bring home The Doors and Beatles. Right, and right. Velvet exactly. Underground, stuff like that. They were right up the street, and how different could that have been? But, you know, what was funny about you, you talked about the singles. I had, I was like you, I had a bunch of singles, and you used to, remember how you used to stack them up? Yep. And then they dropped yeah, one, one after at another. Time. <laughs> <laughs> and they drop and they kind of spin and on I, the top I one. I wondered why they didn't sound good. You <laughs> oh, know? <I> know. <laughs> they had smudge marks it's, all over it from, from landing believe. and spinning on the next one because it was going 45 exactly. RPM. Exactly. <laughs> Sunday was co-written by Terry Cashman, who you might know. He was the uh, writer of the hit song in 1981, Talking Baseball. Oh, gee, that one? Yeah. Okay, that's that's interesting. Okay. And by the early 70s, Cashman teamed up with Tommy West and then went on to produce all of Jim Croce's hit songs. Oh, okay. So he, he had quite a uh, career in his own. Yeah, I'd say so. How about you? What you have? Mine is the famous theme from A Summer Place by Percy Faye. Love that song.
Now, one of my first musical memories was this theme from the 1959 hit movie, A Summer Place. At a very early age, I can remember this tune pulsating from radios everywhere. You see, this was one of the biggest songs of the early 60s. Interestingly enough, this tune is not the theme to the movie, as the title suggests. <laughs> it was originally known as the Molly and Johnny theme and used in the film as an extended lush cue, a secondary love theme played each time the young lovers were on screen. <laughs> and yes, the music was none too, it was a none too subtle reminder that this was forbidden young love. Once the movie was released, literally dozens of artists took, took a shot at recording their own versions with and without lyrics. This instrumental by Percy Faith and his orchestra not only would be number one for the at-the-time record of nine consecutive weeks, yes, this song basically became the first example of what would become known as elevator music. Mm -hmm. But it will always take me back to the early 60s and represents what feels uh, now to be a much simpler and much more innocent time. And what's makes uh, and that's what makes this this beautiful sound and song an early guilty pleasure. Yeah, you know it was number one at the time my gorgeous wife Cindy was born. Really? Yeah. Number that's one. That's kind of like, neat to know. Yeah, for like three weeks in the winter of '60, it took over for Mark Dinning's Teen Angel at the top of the charts. Okay. Now, do you know what what was number one the week you were born? Um. No, it's probably something like... Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, 56, I, I mean... I have to look that up. I would have to look it up, too. Yours is Maybe probably some, some Elvis or something. Had to be some from yeah, Elvis. Some or, early Elvis, yeah. 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 For me, it was probably... Um, what was that song? The Rubber Tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's right there. John F. Kennedy's uh, theme song. There you go. So, um, Mark, uh, Troy Donahue and Sandra D starred yes. in the film. Molly and Johnny. <laughs> and and uh, I don't know when the last time you saw the movie, but we, my wife and I, just watched it literally like, about a month ago. No kidding. And uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a real pot boiler. It, is, it, is, it says everything about that late 50s, early 60s forbidden love. Yeah. yeah. Wow. The B-side to Summer Place by Percy Faith was Go Go Pogo. <laughs> now that song, I would love to hear that song because I think it's got to be awful. I'm sure it is. <laughs> like Go Go Pogo. But if it wasn't Percy Faith, it would have to be Henry Mancini back then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a good one, Frankie. Frankie, it's time for deep cuts from top albums. You have a good one from 1974. Yeah, it's uh, Work to Do by Average White Band off their famous White Album. Yeah. 
By now, listener, uh, my love for AWB is out of the bag. I've used them as a Hall of Fame album, a great instrumental, and I've argued for their inclusion in the Rock Hall. Well, let's make it four of a kind with this deep cut off their legendary second, White Album. It wraps up the almost perfect first side of the album and is the only song that is not an original AWB creation. The original was an Isley Brothers song from 1972 that did well on the R&B chart, but stalled at number 51 on Hot 100. Thank goodness that AWV was listening and recorded this brilliant version. It's a production masterpiece in the tradition of Motown or Stax, which begins with a full horn section, trumpet and saxes, blasting out the melody. By the time Alan Gorey and Hamish Stewart's co-lead vocals hit, you know you're in for something special. Now, once again, it didn't do much in the, the Hot 100, although it did hit number 10 on the disco chart. Disco? <laughs> well, I don't hear it, but I will tell you that just about every band we hired for my old fraternity house's party did a version of this song, and at every time, it filled the dance floor. <laughs> so check out this great deep cut, and it's okay if you end up dancing with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so AWB, did they kind of take over for you from, say, Tower of Power? They kind of picked up where Tower of Power might have left off? Yeah, um, they had that, that feel to them. Um, I just, it was just amazing to me, uh, Hamish Stewart's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way they sounded and felt, uh, they were kind of like, I, I always felt they were kind of like a rockin' Motown, you yeah, know? Yeah. They, were, they were Motown, but they had that rock edge to them, and that's mm-hmm. what made them so good. Now, Hamish, later on in the late 80s, early 90s, went on to record and tour with Paul McCartney. Absolutely, on those, those yes. He became a wing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is from Thin Lizzy, one of your favorite uh, famous tees. Yeah, my favorite tees, yes. from the Jailbreak album, 1976, which is not a bad album. Frankie, the song is called Fight or Fall. Okay. It's uh, taken from their sixth studio album, released in late March of that year. Also featured The Boys Are Back in Town, one of your favorites. Oh, absolutely. The title cut, of course, Jailbreak, and a couple of favorites from Class Rock Stations, Cowboy Song and Romeo and the Little Girl. Yeah, Cowboy Song is a favorite. They do play that, uh, and that's a pretty good one, too. They don't overplay it like they do The Boys Are Back in Town. Exactly. That's when they say, (laughs) you know, coming up is Thin Lizzy, you hope it's something other than The Boys, but especially in this time of year or early spring, you know what it's going to (laughs) be.
but uh, they were about ready to be um, dropped by their record label, Vertigo Records, um, in like 19, early 70s, mid-70s, after their first two albums underperformed. Yeah, um, and nobody knew of them, and then all of a sudden everybody knew them. And then nobody knew them again. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. kind of dropped off exactly. the face of the earth after the boys. Uh, so Fight or Fall, it's a really cool song. It's side two, cut two of the album. I think you're going to like it. Good one. In fact, if you pick up the album, you're going to find some other tunes on there, too. Absolutely. It's time for One Hit Wonders. We're not running out of these anytime soon, Frankie. This is one your dad brought home, or at least heard on the radio, and said, Frankie, there's a brand new song out there right now. It's steaming up the charts. It's called Convoy by C.W. McCall. That's what he said. He said, I said... He said, you know, it's it's about a convoy. I'm not sure what the song is called. <laughs> but it's about a convoy. Well, the thing raced up the charts, didn't it? It spent it, it sure <laughs> did. six weeks at number one in the country chart. Did very well in the pop charts, too. And just as soon as it got up there, boom, it was gone. Right. And, you know, it. Yeah, obviously uh, a lot of you folks weren't probably around back then, but uh, it also started the CB craze. CB craze, yeah. 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 Everybody was buying CB radio for their car. Absolutely. CW They were talking to the truckers. They were. Uh, Breaker 1-9, this here's a rubber duck. You got a copy on me, Big Ben? Come on. Oh, yeah, 10-4, Big Ben, for sure, for sure. By golly, it's clean, clear to Flagtown. Come on. Yeah, it's a big 10-4 there, Big Ben. Yeah, we definitely got the front door, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive, looks like we got us a convoy. It was the dark of the moon on the 6th of June in a Kenworth pulling logs. Cab over Pete with a reefer on and a Jimmy hauling hogs. We is heading for Bear on I-10, about a mile out of Shaky Town. I says, Pig Pen, this here's a rubber duck, and I'm about to put the hammer down. Back off them hogs. Uh, ten four, about five miles or so. Ten Roger, them hogs is getting intense up here. By the time we got into Tulsa town, we had 85 trucks in all. But there's a roadblock up on the clover leaf, and them bears is wall to wall. Yeah, them smokies as thick as bugs on a bumper. They even had a bear in the air. I says, calling all trucks, this here's the duck. We about to go a hunting bear. Yeah, we got a great big 
number one hit for this advertising executive and spoken word artist who won several Clio Awards, which was the advertising award, um, you know, oh, top awards like the okay. Grammys for advertising, Clio Awards. For his various campaigns, he put this one together in November of 1975. That's back when Happy Days and... Uh, Welcome back, Cotter. ABC was like running television back then, and sure, then CBS I, I had remember, all in the family yeah. and whatever. But Vernon uh, Shirley, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mork and Mindy was soon to come. Mork and Mindy, yes. Uh, Starsky and Hutch, uh, Charlie's Angels. They also in Beretta. I think they also debuted in 1975. So there's a lot of fresh television to watch yeah. on ABC, and that song. Spoken word song, God, boy, it was just such a <laughs> silly song. But I can see why it went to number one, especially for me, a sophomore in, college, in high school. You know, we're going to the parties and stuff, and everybody's got those that song on. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of filled a, a small little niche there for a few minutes. Yeah, was, like you said, it didn't have a long shelf life. It was fun for a while, and then by the time you get back from Christmas break in January, it was gone. <laughs> yeah, everybody was done with it. Frankie Hall of Fame albums, and uh, just a quick refresher for those of us just joining the podcast or whatnot, uh, it's albums that belong in the Rock Hall, even though the artist who recorded them is Ex- not. Exactly. And here's one you've been making a case for, for induction. <laughs> for, for sure. What's the album? Absolutely. This is Aqualung by Jethro Tull. <laughs> And yes, I've argued for their rock hall and inclusion. You know, that's uh, you know a point I've made many times. But uh, they have the album catalog, the deep cuts, and even many progressive. What many progressive bands are missing, they had some hit singles, and they have a couple of albums that could be considered Hall of Fame worthy. But for today, I'll go with Aqualung. 
This was their fourth studio album, released in early 1971, and it made the band's career. Peaking at number four in the UK and number seven here in the US, it has gone three times platinum and is probably their most played album. It is considered a concept album featuring the central theme of the distinction between religion and God. Hmm. Kind of interesting. It jumps right into the deep end <laughs> with the theme song, Aqualung, and then Cross-Eyed Mary, which radio programmers have been known to play together as kind of a suite. Later, we get great deep cuts like Mother Goose and Locomotive Breath. But my favorite moment is Hymn 43. Now, if that title is not familiar, you may know it from this great lyric, one of the best in classic rock. If Jesus saves, well, he better save himself from the gory glory seekers who use his name in death. Mm. Wow, they don't make lyrics like that anymore. <laughs> and sadly, they don't make albums like Aqualung. <laughs> So I recommend you turn it on this one this uh, one on and enjoy it all from beginning to end. A great Hall of Fame record. Yeah, didn't you make a case for that as a great album cover as well? Uh, I know it was thick as a brick. Oh, okay. Yeah, which was, again could be, yeah. fit this category, um, but that, you know it's just uh, uh, tremendous. And and again, this album cover, Aqualung, certainly could be one of our favorite album covers. Yeah, sure. a watercolor uh, yeah. painting of a disheveled man with tattered clothing. Yes. Now, yes. Thick as Brick would be the follow-up to Aqualung. Exactly. And the two songs you mentioned, Locomotive Breath and Hymn 43, were both released as singles. Yes, they were. Hymn 43. <laughs> I don't know why that was released or how well it did, but... That is such a cool song, and uh, like I said, that that lyric always sticks with me. You know, it's Jesus saves, he better <laughs> save himself. I mean, that's that says it all. That's um, for sure. So that was early '70s, and mine is too. Don McLean's American Pie, oh, the number yes. one album in yes. the U.S. and Australia, and of course featured the number one song, American Pie. Of course. And the follow-up, which uh, did pretty well, it hit number like number twelve, Vincent. Mm-hmm. And then that was kind of it for Don, but he's still touring these days. His album released just a year earlier was entitled Tapestry. It didn't do nearly as well as Carol King's. The title track, American Pie came in an astounding 8 minutes and 33 seconds off of the album. Right. And I think the single, you had to flip it over to hear the second side. Yeah. And the second part. And for people who don't know, and that that length of record was unheard of mm-hmm. in the top 40. A long, long time ago I can still remember How that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while But February made me shiver With every paper I'd deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside the day the music died So bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry 
And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, This'll be the day that I die. This'll be the day that I die. Did you write the book of love and do you have faith in God above? Number one, and if not for the whole year of 71, close to it, Joy to the World was probably number one for the entire year. Singles chart. I think, yeah, they were probably very close, those two, yes. And you still hear that today, American Pie sure. and Joy to the World, sure. for that matter. I'm not sure, sure you hear much for Aqualung, like on the top 40 stations, but maybe once in a while they'll throw Living in the Past in there or whatever. Yeah, if, you, if you listen to Sirius, you know, one of the, the, the kind of the deep cut stations, yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get lots of Jeff Dorotel. American Pie, so uh, Vincent was the third track off of it. I really like that one better than American Pie, maybe because it's shorter. <laughs> But it, it's kind of cool about Vincent Van Gogh. It makes you kind of think, along with American Pie, but it's a, it's a different kind of sound. Yeah. So yours was Aqualung, Jethro Tull, and mine is Don McLean. I think Jethro Tull has a better chance of getting into the Rock Hall than... Yeah, than I do too, because, you know, Don McLean just doesn't have a catalog. No. I mean, there's, there, like you said, there's two, you know, maybe three songs that he did that people might know, and after that, you're done. And he was a part <laughs> of our great start then dot, dot, dot category we used to he do. He sure was, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I had to I had to dig into American Pie. <laughs> mm-hmm. So both of those albums belong in the Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame wall. Maybe they'll do that sometime. What do you think? Absolutely. Time for cover versus cover, Frankie. It's The Letter, The Box Tops, the number one song from them, their first release in 1967, versus Joe Cocker, the live recording, which made it number seven three years later. Give me a ticket for an aeroplane. Ain't got time to take a fast train. Lonely days are gone, I'm a going home. My baby just wrote me a letter. I don't care how much money I gotta spend. Got to get back to my baby Lonely days are gone I'm a-going home My baby used to wrote me a letter When she wrote me a letter Said she couldn't live without me no more Listen, mister, can't you see I got to get back to my baby once more Anyway, yeah Got me a ticket for an aeroplane Ain't got time to take a fast train The only days are gone I'm a-going home My baby used to wrote me a letter When she wrote me a letter Said she couldn't live without me no more Listen, mister, can't you see I got to get back to my baby once more Anyway
this song is interesting because it was the first top 10 single for both artists. And also, it was the first time that we kind of met these two distinctive voices. The first was the Box, Top, Box Tops 1967 single that went to number one. It introduced us to the 17-year-old, gruff, blue-eyed soul singer, Alex Chilton. The song uh, itself was written by Wayne Carson, built on the line uh, given to him from his father that said, Give me a ticket for an aeroplane. Unlike so many songs we hear about, this one took about 30 takes, which was had just the perfect tiring effect on Alex's voice. The group, then known as the DeVilles, were renamed the Box Tops, and the letter, clocking in at a brief 1 minute 58 seconds, <laughs> was released. They ran out of things to say. Exactly. <laughs> The song came to 25-year-old Joe Cocker during the rehearsals for the famous Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour and live album. The single was recorded on the A&M soundstage, and Joe's gruff, blue-eyed soul take went to number seven. And, of course, that spawned the even more played nowadays tour version uh, recorded live at the legendary Fillmore East. Both versions are great, and the singers are, both in their own way, fantastic. But the Joe Cocker versions uh, include a wonderful Jim Price trumpet solo. Being a teenage trumpet uh, player, the excitement of hearing an actual trumpet solo in the top 40 <laughs> was far too much for me re to resist. So, Joe Cocker's rendition wins by a knocker. <laughs> <laughs> you ever played in marching band? No, we did not. That would have been I good. Have, I would have yeah. loved, loved to have it played it. Featured young Frankie Ost on the 50-yard line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would have been a fun one. It would, it, you even could have played it in, the, in like a jazz band. Set. Sure. Yeah. They're both good songs. I prefer Joe Cocker's a little more because it's longer, and I really like that horn part in there. Right, it's right. It's fun. It's funny how we talked about how Joe Cocker would take a song like that and make it his own, and he really did, didn't he? Yeah, and that's and that's what he was. Um I don't know that he wrote any of his tunes. Uh, he was quite like kind of a male Linda Ronstadt. He was an interpreter. Of mm -hmm. Yeah, good stuff. It's time for Frankie answers three questions. We have three questions for you, mostly about rock and roll or concerts or whatever. First one, best warm-up act you've ever seen? Well, uh, having s seen like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and the Beach Boys, uh, and and uh, Foreigner, and lots of bands like uh, Bob Seger as warm-up bands, uh, I can see I've, s I've seen a lot of good ones. But I think the f the best one I ever saw um, was a band that we've talked about many times on this show, uh, the Jay Giles Band. Mm -hmm. uh, they were terrific. I saw them, the first time I saw them, uh, they were not a well-known band. I didn't know much about them at all, and boy, they just blew the, and I can't remember who the, the, the featured artist was, but they just blew them right off the stage. And then later on, I saw them as part of the uh, World Series of Rock, the famous Bob Seger and, and Peter Frampton. Uh, and again, they, they are so super, and uh, you know, it takes a real great band to play second after <laughs> after jail guys giles has started didn't you say maybe it was peter frampton or something somebody like that was the 
the main act and yeah. came on and started off with a little bluesy song and right and started off with kind of a acoustical set and just lost the audience <laughs> completely lost people were leaving. All right, question number two, excluding Woodstock and the Beatles, which concert would you love to have seen if you could go back in time? Yeah, and I, I thought and thought and thought about most of the people I wanted to see, I did see uh, along the way. So it had to be somebody that I probably couldn't see. And that's when it came to me, uh, I would love to have seen The Doors. Mm. Now, obviously, on a Good night for Jim Morrison. Yeah, not in Miami. Because I think there were some bad nights for him. Like when he got arrested on stage? Yeah, and there were nights he came on, and I'm sure he was uh, uh, high on, so high on drugs or alcohol that I don't think he put on a great show. But I think there were times where he was with it, and I've heard that they could really put on a great live show. Uh, The other three guys are all excellent musicians. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, John Densmore, uh, Rain Man's Eric, terrific players. Yeah. So if, if if he was there full, I would have loved to have seen them. What about Sly and the Family Stone? Again, uh, again, a, you would, it, it would be, you know, are they going to show up? Mm-hmm. Are they going to, you know, are they going to be two hours late? Um, again, would have loved to have seen them. Absolutely. But, the question always with him is, was he bringing his A game or yeah. not? Yeah. Even though he got married on stage one time during the show. He I guess did. he showed up then. Yes. Question number three, favorite non-rock act that you've uh, you know come to love over the years? You know, M.O.R., which is, uh, you know, easy listening type of sure. thing. Jazz, something other than rock. Absolutely. Well, um, first person that comes to mind now, of course, is somebody that you and I both love, uh, our families love. Uh, and that's Dave Cause. Sure. I mean, he's just been. Um, we've we've seen him literally. We've seen the Christmas show at least ten times, mm-hmm. a number of times with you, mm-hmm. and then uh, we've also uh, seen some of times his summer horns tour, probably another five times. So yeah. He would definitely be the one now, but the one 
musician that changed my life, literally changed my life, would be Maynard Ferguson. Mm -hmm. You know, back in uh, when I first saw him and would have probably been winter of 72. Uh, I did not know that that existed. That was something completely different than anything I've ever heard before. Mm -hmm. And uh, it kind of brought me back to school. It brought me back to playing trumpet and uh, set me on a little bit different course. Yeah, he could really play the trumpet, couldn't he? He could. He, he loved could. Maynard Ferguson. And what was funny about him was uh, um, he was actually born the same year as my mom and dad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, born in 1928. Makes you appreciate, like, Buddy Rich as a drummer oh absolutely and then Maynard Ferguson remember his version of MacArthur Park sure those high notes absolutely so good good choices yeah and that's why we uh, you know I when we talk about uh, our own instrumental people and then some of those other things that we'll be talking about uh, on the three questions I wanted to make sure that I said yeah, we're not talking about jazz people here yeah it's, some of the jazz people we've seen are incredible really yeah, exactly <laughs> I love the way they play, especially when they improvise. And sometimes, like the Rippingtons, would be my favorite jazz group, Russ Freeman and the guys. They just kind of wander on stage at like exactly. 20 after 8 or something for an 8 o'clock show, and, and off they go. Yeah, exactly. It's a yeah. fun night, though, isn't it? Especially in the it, summertime. It sure is, yeah. yes. We've got three more for you next week when we feature Stevie Winwood. Nice. It's time for rock releases the week of June 19th. Double Vision by Foreigner. I officially mm. became sick of Foreigner. With that <laughs> album, 1978. Yeah. Uh, Emotional Rescue. A couple years later by The Stones. Yeah. What you think? That's a that's a good one. It's not a great one, but uh, certainly it's a fun listen. And I bought it at the time. That was in between <laughs> Some Girls and Tattoo You, which I like both of those better. The Lexicon of Love. ABC. I like ABC. Mm, good group. Yeah. 1982. Uh, a Russ Never Sleeps, Neil Young, 1979. Look out, Mama, there's a white boat coming up the river With a big red beacon and a flag and a man on the rail I think you better call John Cause it don't look like they're here to deliver The man And it's less than Jackson Brown's Hold Out. I like every cut on that album, 1980. Chicago Six, that's one of your favorites. Oh, yeah. And One Size Fits All, Frank Zappa. Featured artist time, Frankie, David Bowie, too. We took a look at David Bowie. Season 2, Episode 2. This one originally aired way back in March of of 2021. One of the best-selling artists of all time. Yep.
Five platinum albums, nine golds, much more than that in the UK. Great songwriter, performer, great on, on, in concert and tour. You saw him in concert, no? Absolutely. Yeah, a couple times? Twice. Born David Jones. Not the David Jones, but different in 1947. Passed away. And that's why he changed his name. <laughs> right. <laughs> the monkeys. And he passed away way too young. Although he was 69, it was two days after his birthday in 2016, so he's been gone from us for seven years but already, he, Frankie. He, he never looked his age. No. He was one of those people that looked like he was at least 10 years younger than he actually was. Yeah, he really transformed himself over the years, too, from the glam rock to um, when Bing, Bing Crosby wasn't quite sure who he was <laughs> or what they were doing together. That classic, uh, one of my top 10 oh, um, yeah. uh, Christmas, Christmas songs. songs. Yeah, absolutely. David Bowie, 67. Then David Bowie, Man of Words, Man of Music in the U.S., uh, featured Space Oddity, which well, everybody was doing space stuff back in 69. We're landing on the moon, right. and then, and even a few years after that. And, but, uh, and that song at the time was pretty much ignored. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it came, <laughs> came back re-released in early 73. It the did. Man Who Sold the World, 1970. Hunky Dory, 71. See, he's putting out an album and, every year, and isn't he? And Hunky Dory was the first time that I kind of connected with him a little bit. Um, good stuff on there. It's, 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 a, it's a lot laid back from what was coming the next couple of Yeah. Albums. Now, the first time I really heard of David Bowie was 72 and the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust. Yes. Then yes. Aladdin Sane, 73, and Pinups. Diamond Dog, 74. That was a weird album cover, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and kind of a weird album. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, I think, his version of the end of the world type thing. And mm -hmm. uh, it was, uh, he, he still was struggling only because he wasn't, he wasn't selling albums. I mean, he was getting great reviews and everything like that, yeah. but he was not s selling a lot of albums at that point. Then uh, Young Americans had the title cut and fame, so he so started there, there yeah, you hit. getting you his number one hits. Hit. Station to Station in 76, and then a little later on in the spring, Changes One Bowie. That's the first time, that's the first album of his I bought, because, uh, you know, okay. it's in the greatest hits and stuff, but it uh, had all the stuff on What there. a great set that was, yes. That was then uh, followed by Low and Heroes, Lodgers, Scary Monsters. Those were all good albums. Right, yeah, he did his uh, Berlin trio mm -hmm. with uh, uh, Low and Lodger, and uh, uh, Heroes was another one that, uh, very different album kind of in the vein of almost a talking heads album. yeah yeah
Let's Dance, 1983. That was um, really uh, kind of a departure. He had a little dance music in there. And and it broke him wide oh, open wide commercially. Open. Yeah. Um, up until that time, he was still a niche player. Um, mm-hmm. Although he had done great tours and everything else, uh, that kind of put him over the top. That, there was, were, that was his you know, Born in the USA moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, before Born in the USA. Right. There were two huge concerts scheduled for the Coliseum the summer of 83, uh, The Police okay. and David Bowie. Ah, but I didn't okay. see either one, not at the same time, but uh, I didn't see either one. I think I saw The Police one. I didn't have any money to go see it. I think I saw The Police one, but no, I didn't see the David Bowie one. So you're right, he broke wide open with Modern Love, was uh, 80, 83, 84, right in there. Right. With the right. Tonight album, Labyrinth 86. So he's still putting out albums into the mid-80s, and of course... He didn't tour to all the time to back up these albums. Right. A lot of artists will, or they'll appear on the Tonight Show or whatever, <laughs> just to kind of push it, or their Today Show. But back then, he sometimes didn't follow it up with a concert. Exactly. He's just his own man, wasn't he? Several compilation albums followed. Did some films. Ziggy Stardust. Sure did. Motion picture. The movie which was filmed during his Ziggy Stardust tour of 1973. What's the earliest time you saw him? Probably a little early for you in the 73 tour, wouldn't you say? You were... uh, no, yeah. There was. I think I saw him probably for the Station to Station tour, which mm-hmm. would have been about 76, maybe. Yeah, that makes it more sense for you yeah. in the early 20s. Now, he acted in more than 30 motion pictures, Frankie, and uh, television shows and stage productions. Yep. Interesting dude, wasn't he? He was. Um, he, was a, he was a man about town, let's mm-hmm. put it that way. He was... Uh, if he was born in, uh, you know, 20 years earlier, he would have been Frank Sinatra or yeah, somebody like somebody that. like that. He was that kind of person. He didn't really tour until the Glass Spider tour in 1987 after the Let's Dance uh, tour. So there were like three or four albums in between. Right. The Sound and Vision tour, summer of 1990. He played and, two dates in the Coliseum. And I remember the Glass Spider, Spider tour in particular. Uh, they had a, actually had a TV special on. And uh, his lead guitar player at the time was none other than Peter Frampton. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So I never saw him in concert. Um, But based on a sample list of his Sound and Vision tour from 1990, kind of a set list is Space Oddity, Rebel Rebel, Ashes to Ashes, Fashion, Blue Jean, China Girl, Suffragette City, Fame, Heroes, The Encore, set featured The Gene Genie, Changes, Mm -hmm. White Light, White Heat, and uh, Modern Love. That's right. That's not a bad set. What a That's great a set song. that would have been. <laughs> <laughs>
together like a video just before he passed away of, of, of a Bowie kind of bio type of thing and they showed it on HBO I think you know maybe a year or two afterwards. He recorded mostly in private and co-produced by his longtime collaborator Tony Visconti. He influenced glam rock, punk rock, dance and soul. His record company stated it perfectly with the slogan there's old wave, there's new wave, and then there's David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> just so much fun to watch innovative guy i'm not sure oh, the yeah. ziggy stardust persona would have lasted into the disco era of the mid to late 70s so he right. changed up so a little he bit. <laughs> so he went with the thin white duke you yeah. know <laughs> that's david bowie as our classic conversations continue bruce springsteen is up next next week and then fleetwood mac as we continue on this winter and into the spring for frank host i'm tim friedman we'll see you next week 